Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is pre-birth planning challenges in love. My guest is Rob Schwartz, who is a hypnotist who specializes in between-lives soul regression. Rob is author of Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, and Your Soul's Love, Living the Love You Planned Before You Were Born, which is the topic of our conversation today. Rob is located out of Cleveland, Ohio. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Rob. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Emmy. You are a hypnotist who specializes with helping people between lives and how they plan some of their greatest challenges in life. How did you begin getting into this? Yeah, the, the premise of my books and the private hypnosis sessions I do is that we ourselves planned our lives, including our biggest challenges before we're born. Uh, and the intention of doing this work is to help people see the deeper spiritual meaning and purpose of their biggest challenges and therefore reduce their suffering. Uh, the way I got into it, I, I was actually in the corporate world for a number of years, uh, self-employed as a marketing and communications consultant, basically doing different kinds of corporate writing. Didn't enjoy that at all, found it to be profoundly unfulfilling, and also had this nagging sense that I had come to Earth to do something else, but I didn't know what it was. And all of this came to a head back in 2003. I had essentially an existential crisis about my life. And I thought to myself, I've got to figure out what it is I'm here to do. I knew it wasn't the corporate work. And in my search for my path, my soul's plan, so to speak, I did something I had never done before and wasn't even sure that I believed in. I went to see the psychic medium. Well, she started the session by saying, your spirit guides are here. And I said, what is a spirit guide? I mean, I'd never even heard the term before. So she explained that. And then she said, your guides would like to speak directly with you. And she started to channel them. The first thing they said right out of the box was, you planned your life, including your biggest challenges, before you were born. And I'll tell you, I just shook my head and I said, why in the world would I have done that? They said you did this for purposes of spiritual growth. Then it got really interesting because they launched into this lengthy monologue in which they told me why I had planned all my challenges. And they knew what all of them were without me having told them anything about myself, nor had I told the medium anything before the session. So as you can imagine, if you're talking to beings who know literally everything about you without you saying anything, it gives them a lot of credibility. In the days and weeks after this session, I thought about this pre-birth planning uh, perspective constantly. And what it did for me is that it really created quite a deep healing because it allowed me for the first time to see deeper meaning or deeper purpose to my biggest challenges. And I thought, well, if it can do this for me, it can create a similar healing for other people. 
And that was when I started to think about writing a book on the subject. Then something even more profound than the session with the medium happened. And this was just a few weeks later. I was doing nothing more than walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon. And I had what is sometimes called a spiritually transformative experience or STE, in which all of a sudden, every time I looked at another person, this feeling of pure, overwhelming, divine, unconditional love for that person washed over me. Now, I call it divine, unconditional love because those are the words that get closest to the feeling in the English language. But really, there are no words that even begin to touch this feeling. All I can tell you is this was not a human love. It was truly a divine love, and it was a transcendent experience. This went on only for about an hour, but it changed everything. And I was caused to know, you could say that I was caused to know in this experience that we as souls are made literally from the energy of unconditional love. I got that message loud and clear. What I didn't know at the time was why this was happening. That became clear a couple of years later. By that time, I had looked at a lot of people's pre-birth plans for my first book, and we can talk if you want to about how I did that. But what I found without exception in every single instance, no matter what had been planned, the plan was based on complete unconditional love for every person involved. And then I realized, aha, that experience walking down the sidewalk that day that was gifted to me so that when I found this result in my research, I would be absolutely certain that what I was finding was truth. We would love to hear how you were able to look at people's pre-birth life plans. In, for my first two books, I did this by collaborating with mediums and channels who in quite different ways can get at that information. So some of them talk with loved ones who are back on the other side and they just tell us what was planned with them. Uh, one of them channels a person's higher self or soul. Uh, one of them hears the conversations we had with each other in the pre-birth planning sessions when our biggest challenges were being planned. Uh, another one of the mediums channels angels. Another one of them channels uh, Jesus, who uses the name Yeshua, his given Hebrew name, when he speaks through her. So we're essentially talking to spirit. We're talking to very wise, loving, highly evolved, non-physical beings who can answer the question, what did somebody plan and why did they make those plans? Now, in my third book, Your Soul's Love, uh, I still work with the mediums and channels, but then I incorporated the kind of hypnosis I practice, which is called a between-lives soul regression. Uh, this is a form of hypnosis, a very long session. It usually takes about two hours. Uh, in which the last portion of the session, the client is talking to a group of beings called their council of elders. Those are the beings who oversee their personal evolution. So your council knows literally everything about you, including everything you planned for this lifetime and why you planned it. Once you get in front of your council, they can answer literally any question you put to them. So we did these between lives regressions. And I took people to their council and I prompted them to ask their council, did I plan whatever the challenge might have been? And if so, why did I make those plans? And then I present in the book all the information that came forward. If we are made of unconditional love, why do we have to have these great challenges around love when that's really what we are? 
The non-physical realm we come from, as I understand it, is a realm of total unconditional love. So if we are made literally from the energy of unconditional love, which was surely my experience walking down the street that day, and if we are in this realm of only unconditional love, that means we experience no contrast to ourselves, which in turn means we don't fully understand or appreciate who or what we are. We don't fully understand what it means to be being made from the energy of unconditional love. So I think what we as souls are doing here on the physical plane is that we've come for the experience of the contrast, the not love, so to speak, because by experiencing the not love, by the time you go home at the end of an incarnation, you understand much more deeply what unconditional love really and truly is, which is another way of saying you now have a much more profound self-knowing. I think that is the gist of what we're doing here. Is it possible to learn through pleasure and joy? It, it often seems in these realms that that we have to have challenges. Why do we have to have those experiences as well? I don't think you have to. I think those of us who are here chose to. Uh, surely you can learn through love and peace and joy, and we all do. We have those kinds of learnings while we're here. But the nature of the Earth School is that a lot of the learning and growth and healing and expansion come through challenges. Uh, the fact of the matter, and I have seen this a lot in my work, there's a subset of souls who actually learn best by having their hearts broken open through suffering. Uh, I know that sounds harsh, and I don't mean it to sound harsh, but if you are a soul who learns best that way, you would choose to come to Earth because that is what happens here. As the saying goes, and a broken heart is an open heart, so I understand what you're offering. At the same time, there are those listening who might be thinking, did I really plan to experience war or famine or rape or some of these really horrible experiences people can have? Is it really part of their pre-birth plan or is it bumping up into somebody else's plan that um, really isn't? beneficial for someone? The, the more significant something is, the more likely it was included in your pre-birth plan. So all the things you just mentioned almost assuredly were foreseen prior to birth. But it's important here to define what we mean when we use the word plan. Plan does not mean uh, foreordained. It does not mean set in stone. What I see in my work when we plan things before birth it's almost always set up as a possibility or a probability. And you don't have just one set of pre-birth plans, you have many. If you think of a set of pre-birth plans as being a single sheet of paper, that everybody has their own stack of sheets of paper, the sheets at the top of the stack are the highest vibrational pre-birth plans. Those are the ones where most of the learning is done through love, peace, and joy, not so much through pain and suffering. The sheets at the bottom of the stack are just the opposite. That's where most of the learning is done through pain and suffering, not so much through love, peace, and joy. So you control, to a very large extent, which sheet of paper you're on, and people are bouncing up and down in that sheet, in that stack of sheets all the time. Basically, the way you put yourself on one of the upper sheets of paper is just by being the most loving person you can be. Every time you have to make a decision, big or small, Ask yourself, what would love, with a capital L, do now? 
Whatever the answer to that question is, if you do that, you raise your vibration and you put yourself in a higher vibrational pre-birth plan. And how is it that you're helping people? For example, if someone is, you you give examples, uh, themes in your latest book, uh, people who might be having celibate relationships, or maybe they experience infidelity, or you even have a section on a parent who lost their, a woman who lost her husband and the child lost their father and how they experienced interdimensional parenting. How is it by working with you or exploring the pre-birth plan, it actually can help them with maybe the pain and suffering they're experiencing? Well, the first thing it it does, and and this alone is of huge, huge significance, it will pull someone out of victim consciousness. Obviously, if you believe that you plan something, then you are not a victim. That is extremely important because victim consciousness is a totally disempowered place to be. And as I understand it, victim consciousness is literally the lowest vibration a human being can be at. And it tends to be self-perpetuating because... When you believe yourself to be a victim, you vibrate at the frequency of victim. When you vibrate at the frequency of victim, you're energetically stating to the universe that you're a victim. Well, whatever energetic statement you make to the universe, it always responds in exactly the same way. It always responds by saying, yes, that's right, you are. So if you state energetically to the universe that you're a victim, It says, yes, you are a victim, and it brings you more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you're a victim. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is simply to come into the awareness that you're the courageous soul who planned the challenge. Now, the next step, if you then come into some understanding of why you planned the challenge, that's even better, because then you can go about learning those underlying lessons in a much more conscious and much less painful manner. All of my work, all the books, the private sessions, the online workshops, they're all intended to help you answer the question, why did I plan it? What are the underlying lessons? How can I best learn them? How can I most painlessly learn them? Let's take the example of infidelity. Many people listening have probably felt betrayed in their life. Uh, maybe they actually cheated on a partner or were cheated on, maybe even in a romantic relationship or in a friendship where they felt somehow, you know, not being treated well. And I can imagine they might be listening, thinking, well, that person did that to me. Can you give an example of how you would respond to somebody who might say that and how uh, assisting them the way that you do can support somebody in that situation? Well, the first thing I would say, and I, I genuinely mean this, is that that kind of reaction is a very normal, understandable human reaction. Uh, And I have no desire to persuade anybody of what it is that I believe or have found in my research. I always say that my work is an offering, not an attempt at persuasion. And I genuinely mean that. I think there are a lot of people who will learn a lot by experiencing victim consciousness. And even though that's a tremendously painful way to learn, If that is their chosen path, uh, it's not my place to say you shouldn't be on that path. Now, having said that, if somebody comes to me and is sincerely interested in moving off that path, then I would say, well, 
Uh, infidelity is planned by everybody involved before we're born. It's an agreement you have with two other, or at least two other members of your soul group. There's somebody who's like in the story in your soul's love, there's a soul in the soul group who is playing the role of the mistress, the extramarital partner. And she does this at the request of the wife whose husband has cheated on her. Uh, they all love each other very much on the other side. They're very close. And the person who is the subject of the infidelity chapter, she does a between life soul regression with me. She, her consciousness goes back over to the other side during the regression. And during her meeting with her council of elders, we ask her council to bring in the soul who played the part of the mistress because that person has passed away in this lifetime. So she comes into the meeting with the council and they talk in, in very uh, friendly, loving, but direct terms about how this was an agreement among all of them. And each one has their own lessons that they're learning in this. Uh, they vary from person to person. But the important point being, it was agreed upon by all involved. So again, once you know that, uh, it helps you forgive because the other person is just playing a role you yourself ask them to play. And it, it shifts the focus of your attention from judgment, from blame to, again, what are the lessons here and how do I go about learning them? And what are the lessons that you found in those situations? Well, for the woman who is the subject of the chapter, it's forgiveness, of course. Uh, the others are learning different lessons. Uh, you know, one thing that we do in my online workshops, we have uh, an exercise I've created over the years called the Divine Virtues Exercise. And this evolved uh, over a long period of time as I looked at many, many people's pre-birth plans and in particular went into their pre-birth planning sessions and heard the conversations that had taken place when challenges were planned. I noticed that a lot of that conversation revolved around the soul's desire to cultivate certain qualities that are very important to the soul. And I put together a list of the ones that came up the most often. There are now 30 on the list. These are qualities that are very important to the soul, and your soul wants you to cultivate them uh, while you're incarnate, and in particular through the experience of your biggest challenges. So these are virtues like unconditional love, empathy, patience, compassion, faith, trust, and on and on and on. There's usually two or three virtues that a person is working on in a lifetime. Occasionally, somebody's working on four or five. A lot of variability in terms of what an individual is working on. But this is something we can find out by doing the Divine Virtues exercise in a workshop, or we can just ask your counsel in the Between Lives Soul Regression and it generally boils down to the usually two or three qualities you chose to cultivate in this lifetime. In that example of infidelity, are there any other uh, lessons that you seem to come across in those situations? I know you mentioned a few. Well, the, the one thing I, I want to add to what I said, and, and this is really a very important point, you know, there are a lot of different reasons why we plan big challenges before we're born. And I'll just quickly rattle them off. Uh, balancing and releasing karma, healing, service to others, experiencing contrast, which we already talked about, 
and correcting false feelings or false beliefs about the self. Those are the big five that I found in my research. But the important thing to know here is that if you distill those five reasons down, they all have a common denominator. And the common denominator is that we are learning how to more fully and freely give and receive love. That is every single person's bottom line reason for being here. So if you take nothing else away from this conversation, what I would like you to remember is that you are here for the purpose of giving and receiving love. How much does self-love factor into that connected to giving and receiving love with others? Self-love is huge. It's foundational. There are many, many people who are working on self-love in this lifetime. I'm actually one of them. Uh, The last chapter in Your Soul's Love is about somebody who plans prior to birth to be single for almost all of this lifetime. So she's in her 60s now, and she has had relationships, but few and far between, almost all of that time has been spent being single. So she did a between-life soul regression with me. We went to her council, and we asked, what was it planned uh, that she would be single all these years? And they said, yes. And I said, ask your council why you created that very challenging plan. And they said, because you wanted to cultivate self-love, which is one of the divine virtues, by the way. Uh, and essentially, as the, the conversation goes on, the take-home lesson that emerges there for, the, for those who are cultivating self-love in this lifetime is that you are the great love of your life. It's not another person. It's you. And sometimes people learn self-love by spending time outside of relationships, and sometimes we can learn self-love in relationships. You, you can learn it in, in a number of different ways, but it, it's really foundational. You know, the more love you give to other people, the more love you have to give to yourself. And the more love you give to yourself, the more love you have to give other people. So there's a circular flow going on here, and you can come at it from either direction. Uh, either way, you're still funneling love into that circle. I can definitely feel that when I have volunteered or when I've been caring or kind to others that I feel that love flow through me and out. And then I feel like not only am I giving that love to others, but it's coming into me and it's expanding even more. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. The flow of love in the world is circular in nature. And the more love you send out, the more it flows back to you. Mm-hmm. You give another example in your book about a couple who have been together for a number of years who are deeply loving and in love with each other, yet they are not having a sexual relationship any longer. Can you share a little bit about that story in that I think those listening, sometimes people have a preconceived idea of how much one ought to be experiencing sexual relationships in a relationship. Yeah, so this is a couple who have been together many years, several decades. Uh, And as you said, they have a wonderful relationship. They uh, They love each other very much. Uh, but they are celibate, and they have been celibate for a long time. Uh, they've experienced the same conditioning we've all experienced, which is you should be sexually active, especially if you're in uh, 
a monogamous relationship. Uh, and they have conditioned ideas about how sexually active they should be, as I think we, we all do. And one of the points of their pre-birth plan and that spirit really wanted to bring through in the channeling sessions we did for that chapter is that love is love no matter what it looks like. That's what your guides on the other side want you to know. Love is love no matter what it looks like. This same theme came up in my second book, Your Soul's Gift. There's a chapter in Your Soul's Gift about the pre-birth planning of sexuality. And the person who is the subject of that chapter is, uh, in this lifetime, a man who is gay. And we talk with his non-physical guidance team, and they say the same thing that I was told by Spirit in the channelings for this, for the uh, celibacy chapter, and that is, Love is love, no matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter that on the surface he's a gay man. Love is love, no matter what it looks like. In that example of the couple who deeply love each other but are having their challenges around sexuality, what are the themes that they are learning? What are the lessons that they're growing within? Uh, the primary, the person who's the subject of that chapter and who I know the most about is, is the woman in that relationship. She did the interview for that chapter. She did the between lives regression and the channeling sessions. Uh, one of the main lessons she's learning in this lifetime is to speak her truth. And when we talk about speaking your truth, which is a lesson many, many people plan to work on in this lifetime, the, the learning there is how to speak your truth uh, courageously, but with loving kindness. That's the gist of that lesson. And that's what she's learning in that relationship. She, for many, many years, and I don't know whether or not this is still the case, but it was at the time I interviewed her for the book. She stuffed her feelings in that relationship. She was afraid to tell her partner what was really going on, afraid to challenge him, afraid to get angry, afraid that he would get angry. And so she just kept stuffing her truth again and again and again. So this challenge around the celibacy and just their relationship in general is intended to get her to speak her truth, but to do so with loving kindness, courageously, but with loving kindness. You also have an example in your book of a woman who lost her husband and her child who lost his father. What would be the lesson in losing such a close loved one? So there are many, many lessons that one could learn by losing uh, a close loved one. And I, I would refer people also to the death of a loved one chapter in my first book, Your Soul's Plan. That covers the topic of death and loss in, in a much more general and broad scope. The chapter you're referring to in Your Soul's Love is called Interdimensional Parenting. And this is a very, very specific and relatively unusual life plan in which, uh, so the background here is uh, Alexa is a German woman. She married a Mexican man named Jorge. They moved to Mexico. Jorge was an adventure sports reporter. And so one day he went to an adventure sporting event. He went up in a small, I think propeller-driven airplane uh, the pilot made some kind of mistake. The plane crashed and both Jorge and the pilot were killed. Well, right after Jorge died in this accident, 
he came to his wife, he came to Alexa in his spirit body or his astral body, and he told her what had happened. And he said, it's going to be okay. You and I and uh, Luca, who was their infant son at that time, you and I and Luca all planned this together. And I am going to continue to be just as active in helping you raise Luca from the other side as I would be if I had stayed here in body. So I gave this phenomenon the name interdimensional parenting, and we explored it in, in some detail, spoke actually with Jesus at length about it, and he explained that there are, believe it or not, many, many advantages to having one parent be in spirit and the other parent be in body, and yet having both of them just as active in raising the child. Uh, one of the things it does is that it opens the child up to the spirit realm. And this apparently is something that's going to be important to Luca as he grows up. We don't know exactly what he's going to do with his life, but it seems that this awareness of the spirit realm is going to be quite important to him. Now, for Alexa, she and Jorge had a number of past lives together, and the current lifetime was this way as well, in which they were intertwined to an unhealthy degree. So something that she wanted to learn and he wanted to help her learn was emotional independence. Obviously, a very, very difficult way to learn it. But, you know, from a pre-birth planning perspective, when you plan your challenges, you see them as providing both the opportunity and the motivation to learn the underlying lessons. The pain is something that you are aware of, but you're not put off by it the way you are once you're here in body because you know that it's very temporary. And yet you know that the learning, the wisdom that will come from the experience will be part of you literally for all eternity. So from that perspective, it actually does make sense that somebody like Alexa would plan a huge challenge like this. Yeah, you mentioned in your book that the couple were so close that and so in love with each other that it didn't give them the opportunity to actually have other experiences for them to grow, learn and expand. Right. And that is the bottom line reason why we're here on the earth plane is to grow, learn and expand in, in love in particular. But if you're in a relationship in, that is so intertwined and interdependent that it's blocking you in some respects from doing that, you can learn a lot from that relationship, but that you wouldn't want to have every incarnation be like that. And at some point, you're going to step out of that paradigm. And this is the lifetime in which they chose to do it. How can you assist someone who may be listening and thinking, well, this is my fault. I planned this or where they can go into maybe even a bit of a funk or depression of feeling self-blame or being hard or critical on themselves for maybe manifesting something in their life they're not so happy with? Well, again, first thing, uh, going into that kind of self-criticism or self-blame or self-judgment, very natural, understandable human reaction. You don't want to judge yourself for judging yourself. That's just more judgment. So let yourself have whatever feelings arise feel them fully. That's how you let go of feelings. If you try to push them down, then they're going to stick around a lot longer. Uh, after you've allowed yourself to feel whatever has naturally arisen, the perspective I would offer is uh, 
that you're actually very, very courageous for having planned these huge challenges. You know, there are many, many beings who choose not to incarnate on the earth plane, and there are different reasons for that. But one of the primary reasons is that they just don't have the courage to come here. This, as I understand it, is literally the most difficult planet in our universe on which to have an incarnation. And everybody knows that. So it's only the bravest of the brave and the strongest of the strong who choose to come here. The fact that you would incarnate on Earth, the fact that you're here in a physical body, that automatically places you among the most courageous beings in the entire universe. And if you don't believe me, you will get confirmation of that after this lifetime is over because everybody you meet on the other side will see in your energy signature that you are on Earth and they will have tremendous admiration and respect for you because they know how much courage it takes to come here. Yay, us. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And for those listening who might be thinking, I'm making mistakes. It's my fault that I'm not getting these lessons. How do you typically encourage people? I say that's why you came here. You came here for the purpose of making mistakes. You have to keep in mind... Your mistakes, assuming that you actually learn from them, your mistakes are your growth, and your growth is your service to humanity. In other words, as you learn from your mistakes, you increase your vibration. And your vibration is your primary form of service to the world. This is true for literally every person on the face of the planet, even people who have pre-birth missions that call for a lot of action on the physical plane. Your vibration is far more important, far more powerful, far more impactful than any action you can ever take with your physical body. So as you make mistakes, you learn and grow. As you learn and grow, you cultivate the divine virtues. As you cultivate the virtues, you raise your vibration. And then you're radiating out this frequency of love, peace, joy, compassion, empathy, patience, faith, trust, and on and on and on. That is felt literally by every single being on the face of the planet. In your experience, do you find that souls continue to reincarnate? Or how do you understand that whole process of the cycle of birth and death? My understanding is that the average soul will have several hundred incarnations on Earth before they're complete with the process. Uh, there are some that I believe go into the thousands. My understanding is that nobody is forced to reincarnate on Earth. You choose to. And people always say, well, I would never choose to come back to a place like this. And I, believe me, I, I get that. But again, your, your perspective on the other side is very different than it is when you're here. And it's on the other side that you're making that decision. So from the non-physical vantage point, you know that a lifetime on Earth is very brief. I mean, it's here and it's gone like a clap of thunder. You know that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here, which you may or may not be aware of while you're here in body. And you know that the wisdom becomes part of you literally from all eternity. For that, from that perspective, it does make sense that many, many beings would choose to come back. Not all, but many. And you mentioned that Earth is the most challenging place to incarnate. What is your understanding of other places we might incarnate? My understanding is that everything you can think of is out there somewhere and many, many more things that you can't think of because they're just completely outside a human frame of reference. 
just to give you a feel for this, uh, sometimes in a between life soul regression, a, a client will want to do something unusual or exotic. They'll say, you know, I've been to my council before. I want to do something I've never done before. So when they transition from the past life, because we start with an abbreviated past life regression, when they transition from the past life into the light, instead of guiding them to their council, I'll guide them to something else that is of interest to them. Uh, for example, I've had people go to planets of healing, and there are these magnificent temples of healing, and that's the purpose of the temples and the purpose of the whole planet. It's a place where beings come from all over the universe for healing of all different kinds. There are water planets, and there are beings who are incarnate as aquatic animals on the water planet. Uh, so people can go there and they can merge with the consciousness of the water or the consciousness of the beings who are in the water, and they can experience what a water planet is like. These are just a couple examples to give people a feel for it. Again, everything you can think of and a lot that you can't think of is out there. Your work involves people's lives in connection and extension to and with their own soul group. How would you describe what a soul group is? As I understand it, a soul group is a collection of souls who are at more or less the same stage of evolution, which is another way of saying the same vibration. So you and the other members of your soul group will take turns playing every conceivable role for each other in many, many lifetimes on earth. You will be mother and daughter, father and son, husband and wife, brother and sister, uh, best of friends, murderer, and the one who is murdered. And from the soul level, there's no judgment of any of those roles, including the role of murderer. The soul views all of these roles as just that, roles. They're roles that you play on a stage in a script you yourself have written before you incarnate. And they're all seen as opportunities for healing, expansion, growth, and learning. Mm -hmm. And how many people do we have in our soul group? Uh, it's my understanding that on average, it's about 15 to 25, but I believe there are some larger groups that go up to maybe 75 or so. One of the painful parts of a relationship is feeling separated from those we love. How is separateness an illusion? So my understanding is that separation, meaning this idea, this perception that we are separate individuals, completely distinct and cut off from everybody else, cut off from God, angels, masters, and so forth. This is the result of the limitations of the five senses. The five senses actually only pick up a very narrow band of information uh, compared to what's actually out there. We're all familiar with the example of how dogs can hear things that we can't hear. Well, even a dog is picking up only a very narrow portion of the sound that's actually out there. So our five senses focus us in on the physical body and the physical plane, and that's by design. It's intended to intensify the experience so that we learn the underlying lessons, but it's completely an illusion. And once you leave the physical body and you aren't limited by the five senses anymore, you will be in a state of oneness, which means you know, you experience that you are one with all other beings and God, and yet you retain your individuality at the same time. Now, to the human brain, that's a paradox. We don't fully understand it. 
But that's my understanding of what oneness is. Well, may we all experience a sense of oneness here on earth as much as we can and more love for ourselves and others. Rob, is there anything else you want to share about pre-birth planning our challenges in love? I think the one thought I'd like to leave people with, it's my understanding, and this, this comes direct from our loved ones who are back on the other side, that there are actually three times as many souls who wanted to incarnate now as available bodies. In other words, you had to make a one in three cut to be here. So it's considered an honor and a great blessing to be here. And the way you made the one in three cut, as I understand it, in part, the decision was made because you had something to offer the Earth's ascension process. If you're not familiar with the word ascension, Google that. That's a whole other subject. But the Earth is going through an ascension process, meaning it's rising in vibration. And to be here now, you had to have something to offer that process. So the reason I say this, you know, I think we all have these moments of feeling weak, small, powerless, helpless, insignificant. Actually, nothing could be farther from the truth. You made a one in three cut to be here and you were chosen because you have something in particular to offer the ascension process. Well, that's a positive note to end on, especially with what's going on in our world and on our planet at the moment, is that you're saying that we are, uh, the earth is ascending. I am saying that. And it, I realize it appears that things are getting worse. And in fact, they are, but only temporarily as part of the ascension process. There's a lot of divine light flooding the planet. It's bringing to the surface everything unlike itself, everything of a lower vibration so that we can see those things and clear them. So long term, things look very, very positive. Beautiful. Rob, thank you so much for being with me today. I have thoroughly enjoyed everything you have to offer. It's a pleasure. And I want to thank you for doing these sorts of podcasts. I think it's a great service to the world. It brings a lot of much needed light into the world. So thank you for doing this. Well, you're very welcome. My absolute pleasure. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. 